0: Hello everyone, welcome to episode 511 of Coldleaf Soundcheck. I'm Aaron Pollack. Born in 2012, Cold Waves began as a memorial concert for fallen Chicago musician and soundman Jamie Duffy. The original event served as a springboard to what is now a two-day festival style show at Metro, celebrating Chicago's relationship with industrial music and a passionate fundraiser for suicide awareness and prevention causes. This year's lineup of classic forebearers and innovative newcomers includes Beat Manifesto, The Cox, Clock DBA, Pig, The Black Queen, Cubanate, Vampire Anvil, 16 Volt, Chant, Dead When I Found Her, Polyfuse, Bloody Knives, Hi, and Conga. New to this year's festival are post-show DJ sets downstairs at Smart Bar featuring Black Asteroid, DHS, Richard23, and more. For ticket links and more information, head to coldwaves.net. This week, we're chatting with Friday performer Greg Puchato. This is The Black Queen. don't know the Black Queen they probably know you guys from your other projects so just introduce everyone in the band and what else they're involved with well probably most familiarly we have Josh who
1: still makes music as Telephone Tel Aviv it used to be a duo with Charlie Cooper and of course probably a lot of people know that Charlie passed away six years ago I don't want to say now so and then he went on to he was in Nine Inch Nails for a little bit he was in Pussifer for a little bit and he he put out a solo record called Sons of Magdalene and then Steve and Alexander started out as a tech for Dillinger and then went on to do some tech work with he was in the Nine Inch Nails camp at the same time that Josh was and then I'm from that band the Dillinger escape him that people think is my last name <laughs> well so, i think my middle name is from and then the last name is just the dylan escape. right from. it's
0: it's hyphenated
1: <laughs> i so, believe from is uh is that, is that french what is that, is that No, it it's latin probably
0: so tell me about how you guys got together and decided to start the
1: black queen steve and i ran into one another at a bar we hadn't hung out in a while This was in 2010, early 2010. He had stopped working with us, and he said, uh, you know, what have you been up to? And I was like, oh, I've just been, like, working on Dillinger, but then I've got this other stuff I've been working on, too. And his, you know, what's it like? I told him it was a little bit more melodic at the time. It was somewhere between... And if I could have summed it up, it would have been between Massive Attack, probably Valentine, and like Maxwell. So it was like almost like this kind of electronic shoegazy with an R&B element to it. He was like, that's so weird, I've got a bunch of melodic ideas that I was going to maybe hit you up about singing on. And then uh, it just really became a really quick, like, I'll send you a Dropbox with all my stuff, you send me a Dropbox with all yours, if we could figure out a way to make it work we'll do it and before the night was even over once we got home and checked we had kind of called one another up and been like hey we gotta we gotta do this for sure and then uh he moved into my living room and just kind of set up a rig in the living room and we started hashing out demos and that went on for i don't know maybe a year of kind of just like working on it when I wasn't on tour and then we kind of hit a little bit of a wall stylistically that is about the time when Josh came aboard I met Josh at a Dillinger show he was on tour with Pussifer they had a day off and he they came to the show and they came backstage and I went out I met him had no idea who he was and then I went out so the bus told Steve that all the Pussifer guys had just come and he was like, did you meet Josh? And I said, yeah, why? And he goes, that's Telephone Tel Aviv. And I was like, no fucking way. So went back inside, and I was like, hey, man, like, I didn't know. I'm actually a big fan of Telephone. And he was like, no way. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I had no idea. I thought you were just some guy in Pussifer that, like, you know, I don't assume that I didn't know you were from anything. And uh, he was like, yeah, that's crazy. You know, like, Charlie and I, you know, used to love Dillinger, and, uh, you know, I just didn't want to say because I figured you probably didn't even know know who Telephone was. And I'm like, you know, knock it off, man. And then we just started kind of, we just quickly vibed, um, figure out figured out we lived like not far from one another at all. And then we all just started hanging out. And it wasn't like, hey, we're working on this stuff. Do you want to do it? We just started hanging out a lot. And Steve too. And then he was more or less just like, you know, what are you what what are you guys, you know, doing? You know, outside of you know, teching and Dillinger and. I was like, "Oh, we actually, you know, we actually have this band together that we're working on." And when he heard it, he was like, "I want to—I don't know. I hope I'm not being presumptuous, but I want to have something to do with this." And then it really just took off at that point. Mm. Every uh, hole that we had in our ability levels, he was the exact complement of. So we ended—we ended up really being a, a really complementary combination of three people's strengths and weaknesses, which is really rare because usually you have people that. Are kind of vying for roles because you maybe you're too similar but we are 100 percent a voltron of sorts because there's the, we literally couldn't take anyone out of this and have it continue which is which is a really cool feeling to know that you can be accepting of your your weakness because in the whole that weakness doesn't exist because someone else's strength fills that void
0: It's tough to get a new band going when you're known for playing in another band, especially if the music's different, you can't necessarily bring all the audience over with you. So tell me about how you guys were able to get the word out. It, It looked like you started off with some singles and then you did this cool thing with these limited audio and video cassettes and you sent them out to fans.
1: Like we knew the name We knew the album title We had the symbol We knew all that as early as like 2012 So And we finished Maybe We Should Which was the first song We actually like Fully kind of discovered our sound on We finished that I don't mean like finished demo I mean like mixed Master done We finished that In like late 2012 So When we had that done And we knew what it was That was before The last Dillinger record so I could start to kind of steer my trajectory a little bit towards knowing this was going to happen, towards kind of prepping at least my side of the audience for, you know, being led down this path a little bit. You know, I could I did that by leaning in that direction a little bit on one on the last Dillinger record. I would, you know, play music in between the bands that we went on tour with that I felt would kind of start to prepare people for this because I knew and it was and it was terrified by giant, you know, stylistic shift, but I already felt really uncomfortable with, like, I'm not a metalhead at all, like, I was more of, you know, an alternative kid, and I always kind of felt weird about being put in, like, this cartoonish, you know, parameter, especially when you are such an extreme band, and such an extreme performer, and there's, I just, you know, there's pictures of me bleeding from the face everywhere, and, (laughs) you know, and I just kept feeling, feeling like, fuck, man, like, it doesn't matter how much I do, all I have to, but if I bleed from the face one time, or you know if i say something outrageous once it just it just kept on reinforcing this cartoon and, and i could feel the walls closing in and it started to make me feel really uncomfortable when when i felt that happened i deleted all my social media i was like i need to get away from anything that people think that i am because i'm it's starting to not fit right in a way that's really uncomfortable and i got I got i need a few years to to fully step away completely before introducing this to people and uh, that gave us a lot of time to to really flesh out the record in the way that we wanted to and work on it and start to roll it out in a way that would surprise people. But but maybe I, I don't know. I I thought we were going to get skewered, honestly, from Dillinger fans. I had no idea what to expect. The one thing I did know was that I've always been the person to talk to our fans. Like I've always been the one that's like written anything to them or posted anything to them or ran any kind of social media or like. So I knew that a lot of our longtime fans would be able to detect some sort of commonality or a scent or a fingerprint or something even if I'm I'm not directly being like, hey, everybody, go check out this thing that I'm doing, which is like the corniest possible way to to talk to people because I fucking can't stand marketing and I can't (laughs) stand like just like top-down heavy-handed approaches to shit. It's fucking disgusting and it makes me – it treats people like – it's dehumanizing it treats people like it's, it's for people that use terms like markets and, and fucking data and you know like it's yeah. just fucking repulses me i just i've really wanted to start reaching out to people in a way that was i felt more reflective of the overall band aesthetic and what we were trying to do creatively and artistically and not just fucking bombard them with a press release by someone that's like check out the new fucking band you know it's just like so we were like how can we do this because we're not going to get we're not like a hardcore band where we can get in the van and like start going around and playing like 20 person basements again as if you know we're starting from zero because we're not there's got to be a way we can we, we can do things that are more exciting to us so we that's when we started you know mailing things out and trying to reach people in a way that felt like it was more engaging and more personal than just here's a facebook page and here's some updates to try to get you excited or something it's just i just can't I, you know what I mean? Like, right. just fucking, it just, especially coming from a time before all that was possible, I just find myself not interested in it at all. And I, I and Steve is equally, if not more so, uh, kind of uh, obsessive about making sure everything that comes from us represents us the, in terms of aesthetic and creativity. So if he's like, we should do some VHS tapes, I'm like, yeah, and we should. Mail them to people that don't expect to get them, and then and then he's like, okay, well we need to, it needs to look like an actual VHS tape, like you know we just went as far as we could go with everything to the point where you would never be allowed to do that kind of stuff if you were on a label because they'd be like, this is not any, this is ridiculous.
2: You could scream next to me. to get you in
0: There's a lot of people with your logo tattooed on them. How cool is that?
1: It's really surreal, man, because Steve and I I remember the concepts that I you know, I can remember talking about the the band name, I can remember the conversations about the album name, I remember the, conver- the I remember the different drafts of the logo and the different like kind of configurations that we went through to get to the end. So to have something that you start from fucking thought and concept and it's nothing and then suddenly you go to the point where you go through all this weird stuff and then it's it's D-Day and you upload a video to YouTube and it seems like everyone is somehow actually into it and they're not skewering you for it or saying that it sucks and then you're like, okay. But then the weirdest thing is when you see people and they have it tattooed on them and they know your words and it's like it's such a fucking strange thing that I don't think I'll ever, ever not think is the most awesome thing in the world yeah. <laughs> to me. We're viciously protective of all of this, we're viciously independent about everything. There's not a single person that has access to anything except the three of us. Mm-hmm. Not our not bank accounts, not fucking passwords, not social media accounts, nothing. You know, like there's nothing. That, that gets done that isn't us. So, as the, I would really like for that to stay the case, because it's fucking gratifying to me. And if someone was like, "Well, that's gonna inhibit how big you get," I I just don't care. The people that like it will fucking have a I will they'll have a better experience. The, the whole thing is just more rewarding for everyone involved. And you cut out industry people, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. And when you cut out like people that don't need to be there, like every person that touches your art in the From the time you think of something to the time it reaches your audience, every single person that touches it in between those steps contaminates the scent of it. And I know it sounds insane, it probably is, but I know that's fucking important to me for people to feel like there's a tangible feeling to our band, not just a name and some songs. And I, I think that that's why people are responding the way they are.
0: At the time we're recording this, you just played a show in New York City. I think you guys have only played, what, four or five shows to date? Three. Wow. Okay, so (laughs) tell me about the New York City show. How'd that go?
1: We put tickets on sale, and they sold out four months in advance at a place that we thought was going to be slow to sell because there was the Governor's Ball the same night, and the Purity Ring and M83 were playing in the same night as us, and it was really overwhelming like we people flew there were people there from south america from europe from australia it's just been really bizarre honestly and i can't i don't, I don't really know what to make of it all because i'm just doing what feels natural to me i, I know that we're not doing things the same way as other people but i it's it's the way that it feels right to us even more so because we're not using a record label we have no management like everything that people would tell us is fucking wrong we've done the we've done anything that people would say was the right thing to do we've we've done the opposite of because in my head i know those things are fucking wrong you know we pr- we try to print our shirts on stuff that is more expensive to print on than most bands do we you know we don't you know we print with softer paint than most print People do. We print on the insides of the shirts so that people don't have to have fucking tags on them. We like every single thing we're doing is trying to like treat this and in as in a way that we feel is respectful of what we're doing. I would rather sell a hundred shirts that all fucking become someone's favorite shirt because of how they fit and feel than sell five hundred pieces of fucking garbage, even if the profit margin on those good ones is fucking nothing. <laughs> you know, I'd rather be affiliated with quality than just selling a bunch of dog shit to people.
0: So you guys are going to be touring Europe. Is there anything else coming up that you want to plug or promote or let people know about?
1: We're going to do uh, New York on December 9th at Gramercy. And then we're going to do um, L.A. on December 30th at a place called Union. And uh, it's looking like we're going to have some sort of New Year's Eve party. The night after that, if you have a ticket to the thirty, the show will get you a kind of uh, code to get into the. Uh, they might be gone by the time this airs. <laughs> we just, I just, we're just trying to do things that are that are interesting and fun and more involving and immersive than just going on tour and playing a bunch of faceless, meaningless strings of shows. You know, this doesn't doesn't interest me anymore. December 9th, Gramercy, New York. December thirtieth, Union, LA. Possibly the thirty-first will be some sort of New Year's thing, but. Right now, I don't know, but by the time people hear this, they'll know that if it, if it didn't happen, we, we tried to make it possible.
0: On this episode, you heard Now When I'm This, Ice to Never, Secret Scream, and Distanced. The Black Queen can be found at theblackqueen.com. Our opening music is Monster Zero by Acumen Nation. Our closing music is Messiah by Sprint Group. Subscribe to our show through iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app with links found in the show notes. Join us next week as we chat with Conga. Our closing segment each week is dedicated to the inspiration for Cold a, a Small Chicago musician and Soundman Jamie Duffy. Here's Ethan from Jamie's van's Acumen Nation remembering their first tour van.
3: We got this van, right? Jamie was like, it's cool, man. My mom got us this van through like an uncle or something. And it was the first Dodge Caravans, like the first, the smallest minivan you could get. And we're just looking at it and looking at our gear going like, how the hell are we going to pull this off? We went and bought these really shitty roof racks put those on the top of this van and took all of our like personal bags and stuff and also all the drum hardware which we didn't have a trap case for it was all wrapped in blankets with this massive bungee cord that jamie found that was called the spider bungee because it had like eight tentacles on it and you just clip it all together and there's this sign that says like gusty winds next two miles or something and i'm driving and you can't see like you can't see out of the back of this thing or anything and i'm just driving blah 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 and i hear this like this flappity flap 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 sound with like a gust of wind. I'm like, hmm, I wonder what that was. And I'm on this like half a mile curve with these dead drop cliffs over a girder. I get all the way to the end of this giant half mile turn and pull over. I'm like, I want to check, see if everything's cool. And I look up and there's nothing on the roof. The racks are gone, all our shit's gone, all our personal bags, the drum hardware, it's gone. And you can't see where we came from because it's this weird blind curve. So I was like, I'm gonna turn around and drive back the other way. And I said, Jamie, just go and and put every, put every, go tell everybody go push them into one lane a little bit further down the road. But we never communicated with each other which lane. So of course I think that he would direct them into the outside lane, and I take the inside lane, figuring like, yeah, that makes sense. I'm on that lane. And I'm coming around this curve, and this Bronco comes right in my lane. And I, I swear, more than I saw the car, I saw this woman's eyes just go, like, super sized. And we both, like, swerve out of the way of each other. And I end up getting to the bottom of this curve and, and kind of spinning out a little bit. I'm like, all right, fine. And they're sitting, like, on the precipice of almost going over this giant dead cliff of, you know, 500 feet or something is all of our stuff. And it's just sitting there almost fulcrum like and I'm just thinking to myself, like, we are so lucky That was a hell of a tour. We certainly all aged a good six months over that six weeks.